Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Imad Akhand, the CEO and founder of a company called Mercury, a bank for startups that is a fintech unicorn valued at $1.6 billion. And in our conversation, we discuss how Mercury is disrupting the banking industry for startups and founders, plus we'll dig deeper into the financial strategies that startups need to overcome challenging times. Please welcome to the Founder Podcast, Imad Akant. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how'd you get your job? Okay, how'd you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? So I started doing startups in 2006. I had a, a job at Bloomberg uh, in the kind of R&D stuff. So I was a programmer uh, and it was like really boring. I found it very unmotivating. Uh, you know, I just felt like I was a cog in a pretty big machine and I had a yeah, you know, I had a friend and we would always read TechCrunch uh, and see things launching and got like excited about them and 
at one point he had an idea uh, around kind of property uh and you know i was like okay let's just like leave this job and go do that and it was just uh it was just the two of us we raised no money we were kind of working out of my apartment uh in this like tiny one bedroom uh but it was just really fun like i was like wow you can just like make things and you can be like super motivated in life and i uh that was the start and i've never kind of looked back since yeah wow so 2006 so you founded four companies since then your most recent mercury uh fintech unicorn valued at over 1.6 billion uh can you tell us about your first company was this it that first one yeah that was the first one it was called revmap uh we kind of pivoted halfway eventually it was kind of like a yelp for london and this was early on yelp did exist but wasn't popular in london um and really we just made all the mistakes you could make you know no money raised it was just the two of us we had no idea how to get distribution uh we just thought you could build something launch it and then suddenly it just magically become successful uh and which didn't really happen um and my uh ex co-founder at the time was like hey i'm getting married <laughs> and i need a job so he left me uh to uh you know to get a job and like honestly that startup wasn't going anywhere but uh it did just hook me on the idea and i uh i kind of went and found some other co-founders to do uh a new startup and moved to san francisco uh we did y combinator in my second startup so uh Yeah, that was that startup is, you know, we did all the things wrong, but it was still like a fun journey, which I think is like actually one of the most important things is to like enjoy what you're doing even when you're making mistakes. <laughs> mm. And so was, what was the second startup and you got into Y Combinator? Yeah, that one was called ClickPass. It was a uh, basically made it easy to log into websites. Uh like we were on hacker news and washington post and things like that and you'd click a button and you said log in with google and we would like manage all the kind of ui and uh developer experience for the website um that did pretty well like we had i think a few million users uh we had this kind of built-in distribution uh but we had no way of making money <laughs> so we were just like okay you know we we'd raise some money uh, a few hundred k and you know we'd built something but it was hard to get to to the next level without like actually making money or having like a good idea of how to make money uh so we ended up uh doing a talent acquisition with that startup um which led to my third startup yep and what was that Uh so that was called Hazap uh which is a 2008 and I did this startup so the first one was like 7 months second one was one and a half years and the third one I did for 8 years uh so that was a, most of my startup journey uh it also went through Y Combinator I did it with a really old friend of mine um who I knew known since I was 13 uh you know I think having a strong founder relationship actually you know meant that we lasted a very long time even though Our first idea, our second night and our second idea kind of sucked. Uh that was like 4 years in we did a third idea that got us to profitability uh but still kind of sucked. Uh and then we did a fourth idea which was finally one that had actual product market fit and then uh it was yeah so the fourth idea was in developer tools uh basically like if you are making a mobile app and you want to show a video ad uh 
normally it's kind of a pain to go integrate five different ad networks, figure out like this one works well in Turkey, this one works well in this situation, et cetera. Uh, so we would build, we built something that would like make it so you just integrate us. We take care of all of the optimization for you and give you like nice dashboards and things like that. Uh, and that was very successful, uh, especially among kind of mobile gaming uh, apps. Um, and we ended up selling that for 45 million in 2016. Yeah, wow. Um, I have before we get to Mercury, I'm curious, I have to delve deeper. So how long were you working on the final iteration of it before you found product market fit? Uh, so it depends where you start, right? So we had a it was everything was a sequence of things like we never did we did four pivots but all of them were like sequential pivots that were like oh what about this thing that's related so we had a mobile gaming social network so his app was like an actual app for a bit uh, and had lots of users but the users would never stick around uh but then we started showing ads to those users and we were like wow we're making money on this and like i remember someone gave us like we'd never made money for like three or four years at this company and like there's this like japanese gaming uh network was like um it's like dc or something like that anyway they gave us a sixty thousand dollar check and they were just like give me some users and i was like whoa 60k for users we can do that we have lots of users uh so that got us into advertising and then but the app wasn't working so we were like okay you know why don't we just make an ad network and at that time uh, that app was really big on android uh but android didn't have many focused ad networks uh so that got us into the ad network space where we weren't big but we actually made enough money and we were profitable like we only had like 13 people but it wasn't like it wasn't going to be a like a startup success in the ad network space it's just very hard to build that like you can you can build a company that's successful but you it's very hard to be a huge startup in the ad network space uh and then while we were an ad network we saw this pain point that people had where you know, they were, were plugging in us with other ad networks and they didn't know how to like do that. And it was hard for us to persuade them to integrate us because it was so much work for them. So we're like, oh, why don't we just make this easy for people? So there was like a, basically like a three year progression to get to this idea and and even understand it well enough that we could come up with this idea. Uh, but then once we came up with the idea, we started doing it. It took us about, I would say nine months from like launching the first version to having something that really really worked really really well and was like just started growing really really fast uh and the process was kind of interesting we just like we had a smallish sales team like five-ish people and they would just go talk to developers um that we wanted them to use our product and the developer would say like oh if you build this thing we would probably use this and we would just build whatever was the top thing that the most people were asking for and we just kept doing this every month. <laughs> we would just build whatever is the top thing. And then after nine months, we had like the best product in the market. Uh, it was it was very much just like iterating in that space. Yeah, interesting. So you sold in 2016. And then how did you start Mercury? Tell me about that journey. Yeah, so I had this idea since 2013. I mean, I always have ideas. Like I think it's fun. Like, yeah, I'm a I'm a real startup nerd or whatever the term is so i'm always thinking of like ideas and problems and i'm like okay you know why can't this be better uh and yeah in 2013 uh i met this other company that was like doing uh debit cards for seniors uh so completely unrelated to mercury 
And I was like, uh, and there was just two people or three people at this company. I was like, wow, you guys are like issuing cards. I didn't even know that was possible for a, a startup that small to do, right? Like it was like, I was like mind blown that that was possible. I was like, why don't we just do this for startups? Like all the banks kind of suck <laughs> and I have to use this like bank that sucks. Uh, whereas you guys are you know doing this for seniors. So this was just this idea I had. I was like, okay, you know, at some point I'm going to do something, which is just going to fix banking for startups and, and yeah, I, that seemed like it seemed like an obvious idea, right? Because uh, since I'd been doing startups since 2006, uh, a lot of things had improved, right? As an entrepreneur, like the tools that you used in 2006 were really bad. Uh, I remember when I started HazeApp in 2008, like someone came with the, for, I needed to run payroll and someone came with like a, you know, a binder uh to like sign us up and we were it was just the two of us living in like an apartment and like running the business from the apartment in san francisco uh and someone came to like sign us up uh to run payroll physically and i was like oh this is crazy that this person's wasting their time to come ahead to get us to fill in a form like why can't we just do this online and then you know a few years later like uh yeah actually i know know these guys uh the gusto founders uh like started doing payroll online and basically all the startups started using that around i guess 2011 uh 2012 so i just thought the same thing would happen in banking that someone would just build a modern product uh that would do it uh so i had this idea in 2013 there was actually another company called seed Seed seed.co uh that tried to do this in actually 2015 ish and at that point i was like okay never mind someone else has solved it i'll come up with another idea but by 2017 it was kind of yeah, obviously it wasn't working out. I think that was still around, but they weren't quite delivering the vision that I had, which was like a very startup-focused power user bank. Uh, most of the people that had done anything in this space had ended up doing like a, you know, like a mobile app to run your bank. And it's like kind of consumer-y feeling, but for like a small business, uh, which I think there's a space for. But, you know, I knew that a a startup that's going to go raise like $5 million is not going to use a mobile app to do all their banking. Like they need to have power user tools. They need to be able to do wires uh, and do user management and all of these kind of things. So, so it was obvious that in 2017, this space still existed um, and that the problem existed and someone should fix it. Uh, the tricky thing was, you know, I was, I'd never done anything in fintech. So, so, you know, I had to basically approach this thing as like, I know nothing about how to actually do this apart from like, you know, I can build a product uh, and I can recruit a team for that. Uh, and I knew that the customer problem existed, but, but I was, I mean, that was the scariest part, like doing something where I was just like, I have literally not, no clue about FinTech and I had to go from kind of zero to like getting enough faith that I could do it. Uh, uh, yeah. That was like the first part of the problem. Mm, so uh, talk me through kind of what made you want to start the next business like with Mercury you just sold your other company like where did that desire come from most people would kind of go oh I can you know focus on family focus on health focus on yeah like where did that desire because it sounds like you didn't take much of a break or did you take a bit of a break did you travel around the world uh, I took a little bit of a break but it was short um so, I mean, 
I'm not good at just sitting around. Like I don't get it. <laughs> like I, I'm not. I've never been like even when I go on a beach holiday. I'm like I fill my life with activity. I'm like okay, let's go snorkeling, scuba diving, and you know I don't. Or maybe I'll read a book, I guess. But there's only so much sitting around I can do. So even when I was supposed to take time off, I was still fairly active, like investing in companies, thinking of ideas, and like doing this stuff. Um, so that's what one element. Uh, you know, for me, it's never been about like the end result, right? Like, like it's never been about, okay, I sold my company. Now I'm done. Like I can just relax somewhere. To me, it's always been the journey. Like I enjoy making things. I enjoy like having customers and talking to them. And uh, I think you really have, if it's always about the end result, uh, I think you will be disappointed because the end result is like, it's like, I was like, okay, now I've sold, like I have a slightly better house, I guess, but <laughs> like nothing, nothing was that satisfying about the end result. Uh, but you know, as long as you enjoy the journey, like it doesn't matter. Right. So I really enjoyed making things. I, I tried investigating, becoming a kind of full-time investor. And honestly, it was kind of boring. Like you just meet people and you invest in them, but then what, uh, whereas when you make something like you know, like I, I enjoyed programming. I enjoy like having ideas and bringing them to life. Uh, yeah, there's just so much you can have. You can have a very broad impact as an entrepreneur, and I really uh, enjoyed many parts of that. I mean, it's a grind. It's not easy. Like it's it's definitely would be easier to to relax on a beach, or I guess even being an investor, I think is a lot easier. Uh, but I think it's important to not optimize for easy. I think it's like important to optimize for like something that you can be excited about when you wake up in the morning. Mm. And you've invested in over 250 companies, right? Uh, probably more than 300 now. I'm still a fairly active investor. I invest in like probably like 10 a quarter. 10 a quarter. And are you getting a lot of inbound or you just go on angel lists? Like, huh? like yeah. And when I started investing again, yeah, it was all hustle. Like it was 2016. I'd sold my company. I was kind of bored because I had to work at this other company for a year and, you know, it wasn't very engaging. And I was like, oh, maybe I want to be an investor. So then I, you know, I'd reach out to companies I saw that launched on Twitter and I would uh, look at all the Y Combinator companies, like, you know, try to find out who they were and try to like invest in them before demo day. I'd, uh, I talked to all my friends and found all the ones that were investors and like, you know, met up with all of them and said, hey, send me leads. And I'd send them leads and like try to, build that network uh so the first part of anything is hard and there was like a lot of hustle to get to the companies uh, nowadays thankfully it's a lot easier so you know when you invest in a bunch of companies and you're helpful to them they introduce you to their friends uh, so that's one big source a lot of investors know that i invest so they introduce me to companies they invest in i get a lot of kind of inbound because people know that i invest and mercury is fairly successful and also we target startups so like a lot of people uh know about me um so yeah mostly nowadays you know i'm i look at most ideas that people send me and i basically like try to make a judgment on it uh i'm fairly opinionated about like what markets are interesting to me and like where the world is going so that makes it easier i'll just not talk to someone unless i really like the idea in the first place and then i'm mostly vetting like that they're thinking about it in, in a good way and they seem like strong entrepreneurs which is a much simpler I've got to delve a bit deeper before we go back to Mercury. Where do you think the world is going? 
when I say I know, I don't know exactly where the world is going, but I know where I want it to go, right? Like I want it to be, I want to have a space-based civilization where like we have lots of satellites in space and we can send people to Mars and the moon and we can like have an industry in space, right? Like that's one thing I want. Uh, I want, yeah, AI to be way smarter so that like people don't have to do boring jobs. Like we can have robots that like clean the toilets. We can have, uh, yeah, we can just move away from like all this boredom and drudgery that like most people have to do. Uh, so whether it's, I think robotics and AI is quite interesting, but there's obviously kind of this new level of AI, which I think also, you know, people think humans will be removed from the equation, but I think in general, we will have humans just doing like things that humans can uniquely do, do which are like the things that humans want to do. I don't think humans want to write like, really boring copy for a blog because of SEO reasons, right? Like there's all, or like people don't want to write emails. Like there's just so many things people have to do that no one really wants to do. And I think AI will help enable that. Um, so those are two interesting things that I think are like particularly interesting right now. Uh, yeah, I think there's lots of interesting things in bio, but like I'm just not good enough to judge entrepreneurs and ideas there. So, I mean, I would like to see uh, CRISPR be a bigger thing and, uh, you know, we can edit, uh, our genes and, uh, like animal genes and plant genes and like become like way more optimal there. Uh, there's some really interesting stuff in climate tech. Like I would love for, I just invested in a nuclear company. Actually, I would love for nuclear to be way more mainstream. I think the easiest way to solve climate change is to have 90% of our electricity come from nuclear, whether it's like fission or fusion. Uh, so that's an interesting space. But yeah, I think lots of people are really pushing the boundaries of like, you know, people think about like investing in climate tech as like fixing climate uh, change, which is obviously important. But actually the more important thing is like, well, not the more important, but equally important thing is like coming up with better ways to do energy for humans, right? Energy is like this kind of, significant part of the gdp if we can improve that that leads to like a lot of really good consequences hey guys i hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton as you know in this series we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it however if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder. You invest in, you said 15 companies, around 15 companies a quarter. 10 per quarter, Ten so per 40 per year. 40 per year. How many people do you have to speak to and meet to, to be able it's to do that? It's not that much worse because I, you know, I come, I come with like a pretty opinionated thing. So most people I'm just like, <laughs> there's like a very large set of startups I'm just not going to talk to because they're not 
I mean, there might be reasonable startups. They're just not like in my interest area. So most, I think I probably speak to 2x more than I invest in. Uh, so to do 10, I'll speak to 20. But that's like whatever that is, like eight per month. I mean, it helps that Mercury sells to startups as well. Like, I, you know, I think, I think speaking to a founder and being helpful to a founder is like kind of a fun job. Um, so doing that on the side basically is like, you know, I'm more than happy to do that. Yeah. And you said something interesting. It's either the idea and you kind of quickly work out if they're a strong entrepreneur or not. What did you mean by a strong entrepreneur? How do you define that? How do you work that out? It's definitely like an amalgamation of different uh, qualities. Uh, a very obvious one is like how deeply have they thought about the thing that they've that they're doing, right? Like they should be able to answer any question you've posed to them and be, have like a really thoughtful, meaningful answer. And you should... Uh, you should be able to like really engage and have a deep conversation around their topic. Uh, so that's one big thing. Uh, second thing, which is, I guess, a little personal, but maybe leads to a better entrepreneur is like, you know, how much do I want to like talk to this person? Like if, you know, one of the implicit promises I'm making is if I invest in someone and they send me an email and say like, yeah, they're like, it's 6 p.m. and they need some advice and they're like, hey, can I have a call? I will say yes, right? So like, I really want to invest in someone where I can say yes and like, look forward to that conversation whereas like you know often there isn't a chemistry where i'm like okay you know this person i actually want to talk to and i would enjoy talking to so that's that's element number two i think the third one is like perseverance um yeah how where have they shown previous ability to like really grind through and fight through things and like you know overcome obstacles uh it doesn't have to be an entrepreneurial thing like you know maybe they launch something else or maybe Maybe the athletes at school, right? Like it can be a lot of different things, but I do think like being an entrepreneur can be a real grind and like, you know, you can feel like the whole world is kind of against you. So how do you, how where have you shown that you can like overcome that and have that kind of strong fortitude? Um, those are probably like three things. Uh, I think the other one that's like kind of related to the idea space is like, uh, I really want to understand where they see the future and like, and that do they have like a strong kind of kind of ethical and worldview that like is is in line with mine and in line with that idea, if that makes sense. Like, you know, people don't like I can have what I think the idea should get to. But if they have a very different view of like where they want to take their idea, then, you know, which is fine. They should have their own view. Uh, but I want to make sure I'm not pretending that their view is my view which I've done in the past as an investor. Like sometimes I I have an idea and I, I I push that idea on other people and I think that they have it, but they have a completely different idea. <laughs> yeah. And one last question before we move to Mercury. What size checks you usually write? What's the maximum? Uh, it's normally 50 to 100K. I have a small fund that I do it with. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you have your own fund, not just Angel. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's talk about Mercury. So you had this idea this incredible fintech startup and uh what what did the what did the founding team look like and uh how did you assemble it how long did it take to kind of build the first version of the product um the founding team sort of my two co-founders are um people i worked with at my previous company uh so I'd already worked with them for five years and it's basically like the best, best engineer I'd worked with, uh, and, and the best kind of sales and product person. Uh, and then there was eight kind of initial people, uh, five of them were people I'd worked with at my previous company for five years. So 
Uh, and then the three others we kind of found through combination of kind of referrals and like online uh, kind of job search. Uh, and, you know, at my previous company, because I'd gone on for eight years, I'd already filtered out so many people that I couldn't work with and that hadn't worked out that like uh, picking the best people that I'd worked with was like a pretty good kind of methodology. Uh, and then it took us... Uh, it took us a while. Uh, number one, we had to, you know, in order to provide uh, banking services, you need to have a bank partner. Uh, like most people that do it are not banks themselves. And Mercury is not a bank. We actually work with two different banks right now, uh, Evolve and Choice. Um, so we actually went deep with one bank. I won't name them, uh, but... Yeah, they gave, they gave us like all of these promises about what was possible, all these features that they could deliver for us. Uh, we went fully integrated with them. It took us like basically a year and we were like close to getting ready, but they kept saying, oh, this other feature. So one thing that was really important to me was having support for non... Uh, so you'd have to have a US business to use Mercury, but we wanted to be able to support non-US residents because I was an immigrant when I came to the US and I didn't want to be in a position where I couldn't use Mercury, <laughs> which I thought would have been silly. Uh, so I really wanted to have support for like non-US residents. Uh, and this uh, sponsor bank that we were working with had promised us support for that. Uh, and every few months they'd be like, oh, we're working on this. We're working on this. And they were just like, it just wasn't happening. So a year into this like integration and these integrations are pretty deep. It was like, you know, maybe half the engineering work we'd done. Uh, they were like, oh, we can't do this. Uh so then we had to like pivot and switch sponsor bank. Uh, so that delayed our launch quite a bit. Um, so overall, it took us about a year and a half to get to our first version of the product uh, live in market. But one of the kind of weird benefits of it was because it took so long to get this like backend piece done, we ended up really polishing the product. Uh, like we redid our onboarding process like from scratch, uh, maybe even twice Uh which is kind of crazy because, you know, normally the uh, Silicon Valley mantra is like launch as quick as possible and do the MVP. But like we just couldn't launch because we didn't have a backend uh, partner that was working. Uh, so we ended up like really having a much more polished product uh, when we first launched. Uh, I actually think that was like part of the reason we were we were successful because people were just so impressed by how much work we put into having this like extremely polished like initial product. Mm, and how did you use Twitter to grow? Yeah, Twitter was actually like a kind of a main growth channel, especially at the start. Even now, it's actually a significant part of our growth. Uh, yeah, I think it's really important understanding like where does your customer live? Like where do they engage uh, and how do they make decisions? Uh, and at least I think this is still true uh, with startup entrepreneurs, like, you know, they're really influenced by like VCs and other founders, like they want to, it's much harder to, like the way we decide like what products to use is we go online and say, okay, what are other people using that, you know, are also entrepreneurs or VCs or they think, you know, they think about the world in a similar way, let's say. Uh, uh, we first, uh, you know, back in 2017, when I first started, I, after I got a, lead investor within recent Horowitz, I basically was like, hey, I'm going to leave like a million dollars and I'm going to try to get as many angel investors as possible to invest for the extra million dollars. So I actually had 60 total angel investors. Uh, uh, and yeah, a lot of them were uh, people that 
people respect and knew. Uh, and yeah, the two ones at the time that had like a pretty big Twitter following that like tweeted about Mercury uh, that helped a lot was Justin Khan and Elad Gill. I don't know if I've even told them how helpful they were, but those two tweets made like quite a big difference to like, you know, not just like spreading the word, but also making people feel like they could trust Mercury because you know, the difficult thing in in banking is like you're actually asking for a lot of trust. It's not it's not a software product that you can just try it out. Like you have to put real money, <laughs> you have to send the money to somewhere and you have to hope that like they don't, you know, they do a good job with your money. Like you you know, but uh both the security of it and also the uh the infrastructure supporting it basically. Uh so you really have to like build that trust with someone and that's hard to do as a tiny startup. So, you know, I think having those kind of people that were influencers that other people trusted and they had a good Twitter brand was like a real driver for us. Uh, and still is like we have a, you know, if you search for Mercury on Twitter, there's a lot of, I mean, nowadays most of the trust and, uh, and stuff comes from our users, right? Like there's a lot of users we have that use Mercury uh, and they're big proponents of us, which is obviously even better than an investor because a user is actually using it and they have the real experience. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so that traction channel happened organically, not on purpose. I mean, I think when it comes to distribution, uh, I'm a big fan of just trying everything, <laughs> like everything that's reasonable. Like we tried a lot of stuff. Like we did podcasts, we did events, we did, uh, we did. Yeah. Nowadays we do Google ads, and I think even early on we we started doing ads to see if that would work. But yeah, you just never know what's going to work in terms of distribution. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, there's a there's an element of like because you try a lot of things, then the things that you work, then you double down on those. And can you tell us about the Mercury Raise program? What is that and, and why did you create it and what's the impact you've seen? So well, I, won't, I won't name them, but the, one of our competitors has had this like trope that they would like hold up against us. Uh, so I'm a big fan of taking anything that a competitor holds up against you and like turning it into an advantage. So one thing our competitive incumbent bank holds up against us at the start was like, oh, you know, maybe these guys have a better product, but we actually like help you raise money because we have this great network of VCs, right? And I was like, I don't think anyone really gets help from you from raising money. Like I've never heard of anyone, but but it was something they kept saying. So I was like, I always found it annoying. So so I was like, you know what? We'll, we'll actually set up a program that actually helps you raise money because, you know, we can do that. Uh, and uh, that's what Mercury raises. We were like, okay, you know, they say they will help you raise money, but we'll actually help you raise money. So we set up raise... Uh, where you know uh the seed program uh like we have we just actually ran it uh we basically like a bunch of people apply we had about three thousand applications we selected 60 of them and then because we've created this kind of funnel we can then share with like investors and we have a i think a group of about 300 investors now on that program actually maybe it's 500 uh so that's so it's grown a lot. Like initially, it was just this small idea. I just went to all my investor friends and people who invested in Mercury, and I was like, "Hey, if we send you some like good leads, would you like look at them?" And they were like, "Sure." And then we just emailed our customers saying, "If you're raising money, tell me, and you know we'll we'll connect you." And then you know we've kind of made it more of a program over time. Uh, so that's what we do for seed stage companies. For Series A's, like making those kind of network connections are not as valuable. Uh, 
we actually run a, a in-person thing, I guess about once a quarter where we uh, get together about 30 founders that are looking to raise a series A and we have like panels from VCs and other founders and we, you know, help them kind of uh, give them kind of pitch advice and things like that to help them raise a series A. Uh, so yeah, Mercury Raise, it's all about helping you raise your round. <laughs> oh, awesome. And you've also said that your smallest customers are some of your biggest advocates. Why is that? You know, I think one thing that people get wrong, especially in in kind of banking, but often people get it wrong, is like they kind of start thinking about their small customers as a cost center. You're like, oh, I have all these small customers. I don't make much money on them. I'm going to focus on big customers, right? Like that's often often a way that people treat their small customers. Uh, for us, I've always thought about, you know, we have 100,000 customers, but obviously, you know, we have big people, like our top 1,000 customers are like probably, you know, uh, altogether bigger than the the rest of the 99,000, right? Uh but those top thousand customers don't have time to be on Twitter responding to comments. And there's only a few of them. There's only a thousand of them. But it's the 99,000 customers that are like on Twitter or Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever, like saying like, you know, whenever someone's like, what bank should I use? Or like, is Mercury any good? Like those are the cu- customers that are going out there and like advocating for us. Uh, uh, yeah, you just, you can't pay for that, right? Like you have to, that's like, you have to really deliver a good service. And and that's why those people are out there uh, advocating for us. So, uh, so yeah, I've always seen, uh, yeah. And obviously we, we don't, you, you should try to make your unit economics work at every size. Uh, but the real value that I think that having like a broad base of customers has is, is that they are like your advocates and they're going to, yeah entrepreneurs trust i mean i think for every customer segment but especially entrepreneurs they trust each other a lot more than they trust uh, a google ad uh, so if you can be there uh in those right channels uh and have those advocates it makes a huge difference mm. and when it comes to i guess uh startups and banks what's a what's a mistake a lot of startups make with banks you think um i think the most common and obvious mistake is you set up your business bank account at the same point place that you have your personal bank. Uh, I mean, it's, it's obvious why people do that. They just want to get on with it and they want to build their business. Uh, but the problem is your, you know, and people, this happens all the time. And eventually people will hit, hit this problem where they'll be like, you know, you walk in your normal, you know, just, I'm just picking a bank of America, but let's say you walk into bank of America, you know, they don't know what a startup is. They don't know, like if you go raise a million dollars that they'll probably like, you know, block your account and say, what the hell happened to your account? You have a million dollars. You just started this business. That's crazy. Uh, They just don't understand like the startup space. So going to a bank uh, that actually like gets it and will be like celebrating your million dollar raise and not like shutting you down is like important. Uh, I think a lot of people waste a lot of time making that initial mistake. And then later on, they're like, okay, now like I've hit you know, I've had all these problems. I've had to sit in a bank branch for three three hours just to get like something basic done. Uh, then they'll go explore and find Mercury or one of the other kind of startup focused bank. Uh, but that's probably like something that 30% of entrepreneurs end up doing. Uh, so it's quite a common mistake. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, look, we're going to move to the hot seat round. Uh, this is rapid fire questions and answers. And then... Uh, yeah, we'll work towards wrapping up. Um, 
So first question I have is what don't you compromise on? I don't think you should ever compromise on like customer focus. Uh, I think it's easy to like prioritize uh, yourself or your company's needs over your customer's needs. And I think that's like the one thing you should never compromise. What's the most important business relationship you've had in your career? I think the relationships that you have with your co-founders are just so, so crucial. Uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, like you're kind of, those are the people that are like really going through the same thing with you. So that's always been the most important. What's your favorite thing to hear from a customer? The favorite thing that makes, I mean, it makes me feel really good. <laughs> I don't know if it's like the best thing is just like when someone's like, I love your product, right? Like I, there's, I get, I think getting love for a bank account is kind of funny. I was, I definitely like did not expect to receive love from people, but there's definitely like a, a little bit of like, oh my God, you're saving my life kind of feeling <laughs> that people have uh, when they talk about Mercury, which uh, is a great feeling to have as a, as a builder. Mm, awesome. And last one, if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh man, it's just too easy. Elon Musk. I mean, he's, I think... Maybe he has some folly with his Twitter stuff, but like he's, you know, there's so few people who've like made such a broad-based impact, whether it's like, you know, SpaceX or Tesla or, uh, or even PayPal, right? Like he's he's done this over and over. Uh, it's an inspiration. I agree. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap there, Mard, but thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on all your success. And uh, yeah, I'll be watching from afar uh, with Mercury and all the cool stuff you guys are doing. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. If someone wants to reach out, feel free to uh, message me on Twitter and check out mercury.com. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.